So it's my, my understanding that you stand for the reading of the Word of God. The, the page, if you're not familiar with the Bible, is 1057 in your pew Bible. And I will be reading from John chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at, at verses 27 through 35. I'm going to pick up, I'm going to start at verse 23 of John chapter 4. And so I say to you, hear the word of the Lord. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? <laughs> and Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do, not, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for a harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray now that you would come and you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. Pray that your word would be effective unto the salvation of those who do not yet believe and unto the sanctification of those who do. I pray that you would be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen, amen. and amen. Well, several months ago, uh, Dustin called me which he's, he's want to do every now and then. And he said, Tommy, I want you to, to, to come down to Jacksonville and I want you to get us excited about church planting. And I said, okay, we'll do that. And so I'm here. And as we're on the phone, the last thing he said to me is he's like, by the way, wear flannel. <laughs> he didn't say that, Scott did, but that, that's another story. So one way to get you excited about Church planting is to begin, I think, to tell you a little bit about myself, how we ended up in Spokane. But basically, I grew up in South Florida. So if you under, had any idea of what it's like for someone who grew up in South Florida to have a foot of snow in one day, the, the dissonance that causes, like, so that's, that, that's one thing. But I grew up in South Florida in a, in a very traumatic, unbelieving childhood. That's part of the story. That's part of how I ended up in Spokane. So I wouldn't wish my childhood on anybody. 
When I was 17, some girls invited me to a camp, and at that camp, I'd never gone to church before, and someone told the story of Jesus. Someone said, basically, kids, you're all sinners, and God punishes sin. Have a good night. <laughs> and I won't tell you what I thought, the words that I thought, but it was, it was along the lines of, what the heck? And I went out of the building, and, and one of my friends said, so what did you think of the talk? <laughs> And I can't even say what I told him at that time. I said, the bottom line is, I think I, I got nothing. If that's true, I have no hope. I have not, no hope of anything. He told me about Jesus, and what do you know? Everything changed. Now, the problem was, that was a Monday night, and at this camp, you're not supposed to become a Christian until Thursday. They didn't know what to do with me for three days. Because <laughs> I had questions about everything. And when I was riding home on the bus, I was from North Carolina to Florida, I remember asking the leader, I said, man, if this is true, why doesn't everyone tell people about Jesus? And he said, well, you know, Tommy, some people are accountants, and some people are lawyers, and some people are dentists, you know, and some people tell people about Jesus. And I, I remember sitting there thinking, mm, no, I don't believe that. How could you not tell people about Jesus, really, if, if, if it's true? So now... A glitch to that story is right before that camp, I had enlisted in the army to become a ranger in the army. And so it was like, praise the Lord, you're a Christian, now go in the army. <laughs> so I did, and I spent four years in, in a ranger battalion. I was in 1st Ranger Battalion, for any of you who are familiar with that. And in the ranger battalion, I also experienced a lot of physical trauma, and I experienced a lot of emotional, mental, psychological trauma, and you can just use your imagination. And at some point, while I was in the Ranger Battalion, uh, one of my friends was killed. And, and I thought, man, I don't know if he was a Christian or not. I need to figure this out, right? And so I, I ended up getting out of the Army. I went to Florida State, got involved in Reformed University Fellowship. Some of you might be familiar with. My wife became a Christian there. Went to seminary, same seminary, actually, that your pastor went to probably about 10 years earlier, I would imagine. And from there, I went to Atlanta. And when I got to Atlanta, they said, you need to be a church planner. And I said, I don't want to plant a church. I don't, I don't even know anything about it. Why would you even plant a church? And they said, will you at least go to the assessment center? Assessment Center is like ranger school for preachers. <laughs> and so I'm like, sure, I'll go to Assessment Center. We went to the Assessment Center, and I, had no, I didn't want to plant a church. They asked me, so tell us about your call to church planning. And I said, I don't even want to plant a church. And they're like, okay. And after, at the end of the week, they came to my wife and I and said, you know, Tommy, this is going to sound pretty strange, but we think you and Judy are one of two couples in the country that could plant a church in Seattle, downtown Seattle. This is 25 years ago. And I was like, you're kidding, right? And they said, no. And so we ended up planting a church in Seattle, ended up ultimately becoming the pastor of about five years later of uh, what was then First EPC in Kent, Washington, and I was a pastor there for 17 years. And so at, uh, right about that time, 18 months ago, um, my father died, and I found out about it on Facebook. Yeah. And a month later to the day... My stepfather died in prison. And at that point, I thought, you know, I should probably talk to someone about this. <laughs> and, I, and I went to, to an intensive, a therapy intensive that was basically 30 weeks of therapy in 10 days. That's how rangers do therapy. And, <laughs> and it, it was life-changing. It really was. And at the end of the, that 10 days, the therapist said, Tommy, I think you need to be done being a senior pastor and you need to go back to what you're good at. And I said, what is that? And he said, I think you need to go back to church planting, coaching, evangelism. 
And I was like, okay, sure, right. <laughs> I had a cushy job as a senior pastor, to be honest with you. And so I got back to the church, and at some point, one of our elders, the, the elder who actually, uh, who, who mentored me for 20-something years, takes me out to lunch, and he said, Tommy, you know what? I think you're doing a great job here, but I, th I think you need to be done here. I said, what do you think I ought to be doing? He said, I think you need to go back to doing what you're good at. Same thing the therapist said. And I said, what is that? He said, I think you need to be, go back to church planning and evangelism. He said, I think you should go to Spokane. Now, just for background, our denomination, our presbyteries talked about a church plant in Spokane for 15 years or more. We just needed a guy who would do it. I was the guy responsible for finding the guy. <laughs> and I told this elder, I said, well, I'm going to ask the session. Because surely the session, they need me here, right? I'm a good preacher. They need me here to run this place. And no session in their right mind is going to say, yeah, we think you should go to Spokane. So we had a session meeting. And I told them the whole story. And I said, that's crazy, isn't it? And every person on the session said, no, we, we think you ought to do that. We'll pay you to go do that. So my own church, they did, I never resigned. They changed my call from being their senior pastor to being their evangelist. And they are now, and even now, our biggest supporter financially. You guys will come in a, in a close second, but nonetheless, they, they sent me there. And so to tell you how crazy it is, if you know anything about Presbyterianism, you, you're about to hear a miracle that meeting happened in April, and I was living in Spokane in June. Right? That doesn't happen in Presbyterian churches. We got to have session meetings. We got to talk about it. We got to go talk to the ministerial committee. We got to ask the clerk. We got to do all these things. I'm in Spokane now, and God is doing amazing things in Spokane. I'm already, uh, I have a Whitworth uh, email address. Like, no pastor gets that. I got it the first day I got there. Because they just so happened to be wanting to reach veterans and ROTC students. And I showed up and I said, hey, do you guys have, need any help with veterans or ROTC students? So I've been leading a, a Bible study for ROTC students. And lots and lots of, of things have been going on. Now, on top of all that, while that was going on, some Ranger buddies said, Tommy, you need to talk to someone about all the stuff that happened to you in the Army. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And I finally did, and the, the, the Veterans Administration, what do you know, they've deemed me to be 100% disabled. I know I look fabulous on the outside, <laughs> but on the inside, apparently I'm a wreck. Now, why am I, you, are you excited about church planning yet? <laughs> right? You're like, okay, this guy's traumatized, he's physically disabled. What, like what, if you're not excited about church planning yet, you should be. Here's why. Because God always chooses people who are broken and traumatized and, and are broken by the gospel and who are being redeemed and changed by the gospel to be the ones who, who plant churches and to lead others to Christ. When we assess church planters, we're looking for someone who can preach well. We're looking for someone who does evangelism. But you know what we're looking for, and often it's not there, is someone who has been broken and someone who has been transformed by the gospel, someone who just can't help but tell other people about the gospel because what the gospel has done in their life. And so if you're saying, wow, why would we send that guy? It's because I'm so messed up. <laughs> but I have been changed and am being changed by the gospel. 
And because of that, I'm able to tell other people the same thing. We're going to look at John 4. I love this story. We're going to look at the end of the story of the woman at the well today. And the reason I love this story is because the, the end of this story, the whole thing, of course, but the end is a case study in how much Jesus can do through one broken individual whose life has been transformed by the gospel. One woman, the most unlikely person, she's a woman, she's a Samaritan, uh, she, she is an adulteress. This woman, by the way, is immoral by modern standards. Like, so when we look and, you know, if you, if you ever watch the news, you're like, I can't believe they're doing that at the library. I can't. All those people would think this woman is immoral. And yet she has been transformed. And because of that, a whole city, a whole town is transformed. So we're going to look today at three things, basically. We're going to look first at the power of the gospel. We're going to look at the work of the gospel. And finally, we're going to look at the scope of the gospel. So let's consider the power of the gospel first. Notice in verse 27, Though Jesus has revealed that he is the Messiah. It says, just then, as his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the power of the gospel. What's the first thing the gospel does? The, the, the first thing the gospel does actually is with us oftentimes, especially in churches, it reveals self-righteousness. Okay. The, the gospel reveals self-righteousness. What do I mean by that? Notice that, that the disciples come back and they see that Jesus is talking to, to a woman and it, the, John says they marveled, right? The, the language here is that they, they were just shocked that Jesus, the rabbi, would be talking to a woman. They didn't know yet that she was a Samaritan woman that I didn't know of, but they're just shocked. Now, what's so interesting, how does it reveal their self-righteousness? Well, what they don't, they, they apparently have forgotten is that rabbis don't typically talk to tax collectors or fishermen either. <laughs> right? So, he's like, we're, we're like good guys, you know, but the, why would he be talking to her? The gospel reveals self-righteousness. In their minds, there was a wall between Jesus and her. That, that in, in their minds, there was, there was something that barred her from actually interfacing with Jesus. Now, by the way, that happens in church all the time. We are like that all the time. What do I mean? I've never used this graphic in church, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, this might be the last time. But I use this often with church planting, planters. Like, frequently in churches, if you could show my slide, frequently in churches, what it looks like is this, how this, how this self-righteousness reveals itself, is the, the, the person in black, imagine he's a person, he's just interested in spiritual things. He might be broken. He might have just been divorced. He might, he might, something in his life is causing him to think, man, maybe I should visit church. That happens all the time. And oftentimes in churches, frequently, people come and suddenly the first thing they run into are all these walls, right? They run in maybe the, the question of abortion. And so, they, you know, the guy comes in and implicitly, you know, what's your position on abortion? Pro-life, pro-choice. If he answers correctly, he gets to go to the next wall, okay? What's your position on gender? Traditional or non-traditional? Right answer, you get to go to the next wall, what are your, what's your position on cultural issues, right? Are you Democrat or Republican? Republican? Right answer. Okay, you get to go past. And if he is able to get through all those walls, waiting at the back of all those walls is Jesus, graciously waiting to receive him. 
Good job, my good and faithful servant. You have all the right positions. And because of that, I love you. Now, is that how the gospel works? Absolutely not. You know, the call of Jesus is completely and utterly unconditional. When I was a church planner in Seattle, people would often say, Tommy, can I be gay and be a Christian? Can I do this and be a Christian? Can I live with my you know, girlfriend and be a Christian? And I would always say, you're asking the wrong person the wrong question at the wrong time. Jesus always asks the first question, and the first question is, will you follow me? No matter what your station in life, whether you're a Samaritan woman or you're a fisherman or a tax collector or you're gay or you're straight or you're a Democrat or a Republican, Jesus says, will you follow me? And if you answer no, then the discussion's over. It doesn't matter what the opinion is. If you say yes, then you get to ask Jesus the question. Jesus, what do you think about my sexuality? What do you think about my political? All of these things. You see, if you you go to the next slide, when someone interfaces with Jesus first when they come into church, or even when they're in conversation with you, then they look at all these issues through the lens of Jesus, and it's completely different. That's when, when we talk about evangelism, really all we're doing is saying, are we putting Jesus in front of everything else that, that matters to us or all of our opinions, and are we having people to interface with Jesus instead of all of our, our junk and all of our self-righteousness and all of our position? And so ironically, um, you can, this, we could be done with the slide, but ironically what's interesting is while the disciples are struggling with sort of with their, their self-righteousness and their, their goodness, frankly, the woman has been freed to admit her badness. Right? They're sitting there. You, you get this idea of the disciples. This is not a very good look for the disciples. They, Jesus, they don't, they don't understand a thing of what's going on here. And while they're struggling with that, the woman has been completely freed. She has, has, has been this immoral person, this person that everyone looks down on, with extra, introversion, whether she was an introvert or extrovert, it has been put upon her. Remember, she went to the well by herself so she didn't have to deal with other people. So we don't know, I don't know if she's an extrovert or introvert. She didn't have a choice. But now because of what Jesus has done, he has revealed that he is the Messiah and the Savior of the world. She is free. None of that stuff matters. And so notice what what happens because of her encounter. It says in verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, if you remember that she had come to the, the only reason she had come to this well was to get water. That was the reason she went there. Water pots, I think, were valuable. And she gets there and Jesus says, give me a drink. And, and she says, you have nothing to draw with. And he says, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd be asking me for a drink. And ultimately, if you drink the water that I give you, the living water, from within you, a well of living water will will spring. And if you know anything about springs or wells, you can't contain them. And so I think John's saying that she left the water pot behind is very symbolic. The only reason she came was because of that water pot. And she is leaving it now. Why? Because what Jesus predicted would happen has happened that the, she has drank, apparently, of the living water, and it is now flowing from her. It is springing forth out of this well of her, and it cannot be contained. And she goes to tell other people. She can't help herself. She goes to the town. This is important. I was so ha- excited. I was talking to Scott this morning that 
I really care about evangelism, and I was so excited to come, and I've seen you guys are doing Alpha, and you're doing the, the sort of one-on-one thing with the book of John. My hope is that by the end of this, you will actually have more confidence to utilize those tools. What you see here is a woman with absolutely no evangelism training at all, winning a whole town. You know, I've been a pastor of a First Presbyterian church, and so there are a lot of things that come with that. And I remember when I first started, they would have meetings and uh, to say, we need to have evangelism training here. That's the reason we're not doing evangelism, pastor, because you're not giving us evangelism training. And I'm an evangelist, and I'd say, mm, I don't think you need training. Well, until we get it, we're not doing it. Somehow, the woman at the well, whose name, by the way, the church has, has historically given her is Fotina. The Eastern Orthodox Church made her a saint. Fotina, she figured it out. What did she do to win the whole city? She basically did three things. And if you and I do these three things, the same results will happen. Notice, first, she, she basically, she invites people, she tells her story, and she asks for the business, right? If you've, if you've ever been a salesperson, which I have been, you're always saying, asking for the business. So what do you think about this? So she noticed verse 28 says, it says, so the woman left her water jar, went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? That's it. That one verse contains everything you need to know about evangelism. You have been trained this morning. The first thing she says is come and see. When you read the book of John, it's amazing to me that in the book of John, especially in the first few chapters, what you see over and over again is the word find or found and the phrase, come and see. Remember John chapter 1? John's disciples go after Jesus and they say, can we come check you out? And he, What does Jesus say? No. When you have all the right positions and you have all the right attitudes and, and you know the Bible real well, then you can come. Jesus, it, you get the idea, he looks over his shoulder and says, come see. And one of those is Andrew. Andrew goes and tells his brother Peter. What does he tell Peter? Come and see. We've found the Messiah. Come and see. And I love that when Philip, remember Philip in, in the New Testament, unfortunately he's portrayed as being rather dull. And Nathaniel is portrayed as being pretty smart. Philip doesn't really know the Bible. Nathaniel studies the Bible all the time. And Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, we have found the Messiah. He is from Nazareth. Remember what Nathaniel says? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, in that moment, Philip is actually brilliant. So what does someone who is relatively dull say to someone who thinks they're a Bible scholar? Come and see. He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't argue the scriptures. He doesn't do apologetics. He says, come and see. That the core of evangelism, the core of church planting, the core of missions is simply inviting people to come and see. Just come and see. Ask yourself, when's the last time you invited someone to anything? I mean, what, what is so exciting to me about church planting is I get to do what we're supposed to be doing as, as, as churches. My job is to basically to invite people to my house. My job is to, to, to invite people to, to things like Alpha or to invite people to walk through the book of John with me. And what do you know they do? 
You know, I think it's the statistics say about 80% of people, if they are invited to something, will actually go with you. Last night I had dinner. I, I grew up with the, the, our families. We go camping with these other families for about 20 years. And you saw all the kids. I've seen them born, and now they're adults, and one of them lives here. And last night I called him up and said, hey, I'm in town. You want to go to dinner? He's like, uh, Yeah. And we were talking over dinner. He said, no one ever does this. No one ever just invites me to go places. No one ever talks to, you know, we just text each other. And, and I, I don't even text my family. Yet you came in. I just invited him. And what do you know? He came. You would be shocked if you begin inviting people to coffee, to dinner, to your house, to church, to Alpha. How many will actually show up? So the woman, first thing she does, she says, come and see. The second thing, she just tells her story. And you can imagine all the gossip about her. As someone who has been gossiped about before, <laughs> it actually is really relieving to actually tell your story. Here's actually how bad I am. Like, like you were gossiping about all these things. I'm actually worse than that. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus forgave me. Right, the gospel is, is basically says that Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And then he rose again from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father and is even now renewing all of creation. And I'm part of that. That's all. Just come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And they're probably thinking, man, I want to hear everything you ever did. <laughs> and they come. And the last thing she does is she asks for the business. She says, can this be the Christ? Can it be? Remember my story. The way I became a Christian is two girls, Delta Dawn Armstrong and Holly Hickenlooper, <laughs> in German class. There were only three of us in, Ger in that German class, by the way. They were Christians. I was pretty wild. And they said, come and see. I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. And then someone else said, can it be the Christ? Can this be true? And I was converted. And everything changed because of that. That's, and that's all we're called to do. It's not, my son-in-law hates, my, my son-in-law is a rocket science. He hates when I say this. It's not rocket science. <laughs> it's whether or not we are actually going to tell our story. The most powerful thing that you have in your evangelism arsenal is your own story. You know, Flannery O'Connor said if she, if she had stopped having experiences by the time she was 12, she would have enough experience to write about the, for the rest of her life. Eugene Peterson says, has said nobody has a boring life if you're willing to take the time to listen. A lot of you sitting out there, you're saying, man, I have just boring testimony. No one cares about my story. You would be shocked because if you actually start t telling people your story, it's not boring, I guarantee you. Take time to listen to people's stories and you'll find they're not boring. Your own story is not boring, especially if you have been transformed by Christ. Even if you've grown up in church your whole life, you have a story that other people need to hear. And that's, why is that such a powerful thing? Because you can't argue with that. Right? One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible is John chapter 9. When the Pharisees come to the man who had been healed, having been born blind, and they said, is this man a sinner or not? And he says, man, I, you know, I, I have no idea. Whether he's a sinner or not, I have no idea. But what I do know is I was blind and now I see. How do you argue with that? Because they knew that he was blind and now he sees. And they're like, man, what, okay, what now? 
That's the, the power that we have in your story. Are you telling people your story? You know, I, my wife and I in Spokane, so, so one of the great things is if you're a sales rep, you're, you, always, you know you're starting to, to head into good territory when people start calling you rather than you start calling on them. And so we're at a point in Spokane where I'm getting emails every day. Hey, we've heard about this EPC's church. Do you think you can meet with us? We've heard about and And I like those emails. I'm, gl I'm glad that people are interested. But what, ha what I'm more excited about is the YMCA every single morning. Judy and I joined the YMCA. It's an enormous, beautiful YMCA. And if I could start a TikTok channel, if it was appropriate, I would start a, a series entitled Saved in the Sauna. Because I, it's, uh, on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, I do this. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, my wife does this, is we swim, and then we go into the sauna. And every morning, it's like a party in there. Maybe that's overstating it. You got a bunch of naked people. <laughs> and something about it is they're physically naked, mostly, but they're also emotionally naked. And you're sort of trapped in a room with people. And it's hot. And people start talking. I remember I asked a guy, hey, how are you? you know, hey, my name's Tommy. How's it going? He's like, oh, I'm Noah. And he looked down and said, is everything all right? He said, yeah, my wife just left me. And he tells me the story. And he just goes on and on. And by the end, he said, yeah, it just feels crazy. And I said, you know what your name means? And he said, what? I said, you know what your name means? And he said, no. And I said, well, i got to build some context here. And I started at Genesis 1, and I said, you know, God created Adam and Eve, and, and everything was the way it was supposed to be, and they violated that by eating of the tree, and things were no longer the way they're supposed to be, sort of like your life, right? Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And he's like, yeah. And I said, God promised he was going to fix the problem. And eventually, he brought along this man named Noah. And the word Noah means rest. I said, that's, cra that's, that's crazy to me. And he was like, man, think we talk some more? Like, that is what, like, drives me. I mean, I love getting calls. I love, you know, eventually what, you know, a church planner is supposed to do is you're supposed to do all this evangelism and then sort of intentionalize it and bring it together in a church so you can do it again. But really, what drives me, what excites me about a church planner are people like Noah, people like Jose. I was invited to, to a Mexican guy's birthday party. Because I asked him, I said, hey, you know any good Mexican restaurants? And he said, no, man, not here. Spokane has, has, does not have very good Mexican restaurants. I said, is your wife cook? <laughs> he's, like, he's like, no, no, man, she's Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, but I tell you what, I tell you, yeah, I tell you what, my birthday's coming to too much. You're going to come to my birthday because all my friends are going to bring tamales and enchiladas. I'm like, I'll be there. Just talk to people. That's all it takes. Back to the woman. Notice in verse 30. She just says, can this be the Christ? Verse 30, they went out of town and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said, my food is the, is the will to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. 
Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Basically, when you, we consider the work of the gospel, the priority of Jesus is the lost, right? The disciples come back. They're, they're just they're trying to take care of business. Like, okay, Rabbi, did you get something to eat? And he says, my, my food is to do the will of the Father. And there's sort of a comic situation here. They're like, someone bring him something to eat that we don't know about? Like, he sent us all this... What is the will of, what is the work of the Father? What, why did Jesus come? Remember Luke 19, Jesus said that the Son of Man came to do what? To seek and save the lost. That's the will of the Father that Jesus is fulfilling, that the priority of Jesus is the lost and to training people who will reach the lost. And the reality of the harvest, he says, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. The fields are white for the harvest. Now, I imagine he's standing on this hill, and the woman in this whole town are coming, and Jesus says, lift up your eyes. The fields are white for harvest. And he sees crowds coming. And he says, others have sowed, and you're about to reap. In other words, the, the woman is told, she, she's, she has sowed the, the gospel. Now, you guys are getting ready to reap. And the, the, there's a partnership here that you see in the harvest. That the, that the harvest is so big, it almost demands a partnership. Now, how big is the harvest in Spokane? When you look at the demographics of Spokane, 72% of the people in Spokane do not attend religious services. We call that unchurched or de-churched or something like that. 72%. That's amazing, isn't it? If you think about it. You know what's even more amazing is because I have access to the data, I looked up. So Spokane County, 72% of the people do not attend religious services. And so I thought, hmm, I wonder what Jackson County is, Medford, Oregon. You know how many people in your area don't attend religious services or unchurched? 72%, exactly the same as Spokane. The fields are white for harvest in Spokane. The fields are white for harvest here. The fields are white for harvest everywhere. And Jesus is saying, Let's go reap. You see, because there's a relationship between the sower and the reaper that just because you tell people the gospel and they don't respond to the gospel doesn't mean you've been ineffective. I think we, we think, man, I need to go out and, and, and share the four spiritual laws and, and, and ask for the business, and if they say no, then why well, just move on? Well, a lot of our sowing takes time over years. You know, I worked for Eli Lilly back in the, the early 2000s. And my partner at the time was not a Christian. And we had lunch for 12 years after I left Eli Lilly. And I baptized him and his whole family in 2017, 15 years later. Sowing and reaping. Right, when I was in the army, when I finally, about three years in, I thought, man, I need to take this seriously. I need to tell people about, about Jesus. And I told all these guys about Jesus and, and no one became Christians. I'm like, oh, I'm a failure. And then years later, people would call me and say, man, so I, I'm a Christian now. Why? I, I remember when we would golf and you would tell me about Jesus. Man, I just thought, sowing and reaping. Parents, some of you parents are discouraged. I, I know, just with a church this size, because you're saying, man, my, my children are not walking with the Lord, or, or I don't know where they are. Keep sowing. Someone else might reap. 
When I planted a church in Seattle, the most hilarious thing is kids from Alabama would say, I'm out of here. I'm out of the Bible Belt. I'm done with this Christianity thing. I'm going to move to Seattle where there is nothing. And they would, it's almost like they would land in the airport and I'd be waiting to receive them. (laughs) Reaping, that's what we're in Spokane to do. I'm getting close to the end here. Let me me just finish here by talking about the scope of the gospel. In verse 39, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed him in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. It's interesting. It says many believe because of the woman's testimony. Remember what I said about how powerful your testimony is? But really what changed them was the word of Jesus. That they had to eventually talk to, to, to Jesus. And when they saw him, basically they concluded what? That he was the savior of the world. That it's not only Jews, it's not only Samaritans, it's not only men, it's not only women, but anyone who would call on the name of the Lord. That might even be someone here today. Every, any, any church is full of people who are, who are Christians. There's also people who think they're Christians and are not. And there's also people who are, who are visiting. And a lot of times people think, man, if Tommy knew my sins, he wouldn't think it's that easy. When you think that, consider this woman. She had five husbands and she was living with a guy that wasn't her husband. And Jesus knew everything about her. And the good news is the, of the gospel it might not feel good at first, is that Jesus knows everything about you too. And what would make Jesus the happiest is not for you to get your act together. It's not for you to start reading your Bible more, not even for you to do evangelism. But what would make him ultimately the happiness would be for you to come to him and say, Jesus, I'm, I got nothing. I lay down my life. I give it to you. What now? That is what would make him happiest. You see, to, to get you excited about church planting, I, I could tell you lots and lots of lots of more stories, and I'd be happy to between services or after. What really is going to motivate you for church planting and what will, will get you excited about church planting is you understanding the gospel yourself. Have you been transformed by the gospel? Because at the end of the day, Basically, when we plant churches, we're doing, that's all we're doing. We're, we're telling people about the gospel, right? There's an old song, right, that I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. I'm not a rock star church planner. I'm not a great preacher. I'm not, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. And what do you know? Every now and then, Jesus says, you know what, Tommy, we're going to use that. And my hope and prayer is that ultimately I'd come back here in a year or two and say, here, look at what Jesus has done. Look at the harvest. Not only that I have reaped, but that you have reaped as well. When you support us, when you pray for us, people say, oh, we've been praying for you. That actually is the biggest thing. I mean, like, don't, I'll, I'll take the money for sure. <laughs> but I ask you to really continue to pray for us. Pray the, for the harvest in Spokane. And you know what I'll be doing? I'll be praying for the harvest that you we'll be reaping here in Jacksonville and in Medford and around the area. Let me pray for us and we'll be done. Father, I do just pray for um, Spokane. I pray that you would uh, enable us to, to reap that which has been sowed by lots of other people for probably decades. And, and I pray also for this church, 
for Jacksonville Perez, that you would make this a place where people's stories are told, where transformation happens, where people come to know Jesus, and people are sent out to be church planters. I thank you uh, for Dustin and his vision for church planting, even as the pastor of, of an established church, that he would get behind that. And also for the session, I just pray that you would do great things here. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen.